So, uh, yeah, so it's great, um, you know, what God's doing and the opportunities that are being given. So if we can just find our seats, come forward where we can. Um, I'm sure there'll be drinks afterwards if we really need them. Okay, well, I'm going to get going. Uh, Last week was the um, last occasion that we were going to speak um, predominantly on the story of Abraham. And uh, um, you'll remember that Abraham was called by God from, you know, God spoke to him when he was a, um, basically he was was a a moon worshipper. He came from a land that didn't believe in God, but he, he heard God's call and he responded to him and he went out and God gave him some promises. Um, and then throughout his life, God was working out those promises uh, in, in Abraham and establishing them in him. And at the same time, he was, he was uh, I believe, teaching, teaching us, teaching the world what he was like through his relationship with Abraham. And we now come to a very critical moment in in the story because it was almost like, was this all just for Abraham or would it be taken further? Would it be taken on? And so we come to the story, and we're only giving one week to this, the story of Isaac. I've called it uh, an unremarkable story, and I'm not trying to be um, offensive to Isaac. Uh, But let me just give you an illustration. When I was in secondary school, which is a long time ago now, um, I, I was, um, we had an inter-school competition at the, um, what was then the sort of National Athletic Stadium in Crystal Palace, which is not far from here. And, and I was chosen to be in our, our four by 100 meter relay team. That just tells you something, doesn't it? I don't need to say much else for you to know, oh, Owen could run. Yeah? So I was chosen to be in that team. Uh, However, just to show where I was at, I was on the third leg. And, uh, um, you know, the race got underway. I remember the guys coming round. And I was, I think, uh, you know how your memory gets a bit hazy? And I'm going to become the hero. I'm not sure I really was the hero. But in my mind, I remember remember these facts. I was on one of the inside lanes, and uh, for me, I ran a blinder, yeah? So I think I picked up the baton, um, so this is my recollection, in about fifth place, yeah? And I ran a blinder, and I ran around and took, took over some people, and I must have handed it over, I, I think in about second place, but who really knows? Um, that's what I recall um, as I think back now. <laughs> Um, and, you know, we ended up, I think, becoming, get, getting third in that particular race. And I was, like, really hyped up, and, you know, you've, you've seen relay races, and, and I was one of those people in the relay. Um, let me see, in the school's competition. Uh, as I reflected on it, though, I realised that, you know, no one remembers the third leg runner. Yeah? 
you, we all remember Usain Bolt coming home to get gold. Whatever race he's in, he's coming home to get gold. You don't remember who handed the baton to him. Can anyone remember who handed the baton to him? No, we don't remember. No, it wasn't a Sapphire, no. <laughs> it was the... Yeah, it was Blake. Yeah, but we're like, oh, yeah, was it Blake? Was it Blake? Yeah? How many of you know Johan Blake? Yeah, like, like five of us. Five of us. Yeah? Because he's a relay runner. Actually, he's a very good runner. He was, um, but he ran the third leg of the race. And yet, without him, just imagine, without him, uh, th th they wouldn't have won the race. You know, had the third leg runner gone, do you know what, I'm not going to do that third leg because I wanted to be the last leg. So in protest, they would sit down. And so the, the guy who runs, runs the second leg has to run all the way. They wouldn't have won the race without the third leg runner. And there's a little bit where I think Isaac is a bit like that. The story of Isaac is the story of uh, somebody who, uh, for want of a better phrase in the Bible, he's a transitional character. He's really important, but you could miss him. His story is actually quite unremarkable, even though it is pivotal to the purposes of God and the establishing of the promises. You see, Isaac was born, he lived, he married and he had family and he died all in the land of Canaan. He never had his name changed. He was, he was um, if you like, overshadowed by his more illustrious father, Abraham, the father of faith, and his son Jacob, who became Israel, the father of the 12 tribes. In the middle, you've got Isaac. Yeah, he doesn't do anything grand or great. In fact, the most, the most impressive thing that happens to Isaac is his father nearly sacrifices him on an altar. That's the thing we remember about Isaac. And that he had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And, and Jacob says that famous line, you know, my brother is a hairy man and I'm a smooth man. And, and we know that. Isaac was the father of those brothers, the twins. But in truth, most of us wouldn't really know much else about Isaac. And I don't, I don't say that disparagingly. I just, I just know as I read it, I thought, actually, yeah, I don't know much about Isaac. And yet without him, Without him, this promise that we have inherited would never have got established. It would never have come to the place that it came. Most of Isaac's life was spent pitching tents and digging wells. That's what he does most of the time. He's pitching a tent here and he's digging a well. Oh, somebody wants it. So he goes over there, he pitches a tent and he digs a well. He lives as a nomad but he lives as a nomad in the promised land. So what we're going to do is we're just going to literally walk through key events of the life of, of Isaac. And uh, I'm, I'm going to take particular scriptures, and I hope I'm not going to overread. I'm going to just take it from scripture, read a number of passages, make some comments, and then see how it applies to us, because I think it applies very much to our, or very much for some of us, this will be applicable. So let me just pray and ask God to be with us. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're with us as we come together week by week. I pray you would help me as I speak. I pray you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at the life 
of Isaac. And I've described it as this unremarkable story. In Genesis 24, it says this, Genesis 24, verse 1, it says, Abraham was now very old and the Lord had blessed him in every way. Yeah, so God had fulfilled his promise to Abraham. Even in his lifetime, he blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. Now, clearly that's a cultural thing. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but you will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. So he, he gets his, he knows, maybe he knows his life is coming to an end. He gets his servant, his most trusted, loyal servant, and he says, look, I want you to go back. Now, I haven't read it, but it goes on to say, I don't want you to take Isaac back. Don't take him back. But you go back, get him a wife, and bring her back here. That's what he basically says to him. Abraham knew the time for establishing the promise to the next generation had come, and he had that person, this servant, who was going to be key in the transition of the promise from Abraham to Isaac. And he's got those two things in mind. Go and get him a wife. Why? Because God's promised us an heir. God's promised that our descendants will, will be as the sand is to the seashore. God's promised that. But he says, don't take him out of the land. Why? Because God's promised us this place. And we haven't established it quite yet. So in his mind, he's got those things. And he sends his servant off. And then in Genesis 24, same chapter, verse 12, God answers the prayer of the servant who finds a wife for Isaac. It says this. This is the servant speaking now. Then he prayed. And again, it's interesting that the servant has learnt something from his master. He's praying. He's learnt how to pray. Then he prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I see a young woman... Um, when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. I could speak there a little bit about guidance. How does God guide us? Because God doesn't always guide us like that today. And sometimes if you take that type of guidance, you could end up in, a, in an odd situation. If you say, God, may it be if the, red, the next red car to drive past that you've told me I'm to buy a red, it gets a bit silly that you hold God to ransom like that. But in those days where the full revelation of the scriptures had not been fulfilled or revealed, this is how God speaks. This is how he asked God. But it's also encouraging. This servant, as I said, stands in the mould of his master. He, he's learnt how to pray. And you know what? You might not think to you, of yourself as being an example to anybody. Or you might not even think to the extent that you are an example to people. But you are. You are. As I recollect, as I look back on my life, one of the biggest examples to me 
in terms of being a Christian was my mother who prayed. I never realised that. Yeah, because she was always praying. I'd be like, oh, okay, we can sit awkwardly. Mum's going to pray. It's going to be a bit awkward. Yeah? But she used to pray regularly. And she was committed to the church. Yeah? So my mum probably couldn't have stood up here and said, do you know, everyone, the va- you need to understand the value of the church? She probably couldn't have articulated that. But I remember one woman saying to me, your mum used to say to me, stick to the ladies in the church. Stick to the ladies in the church. And 20 years later, that woman still repeated, stick to the ladies in the church. There was something about her life that exuded two things. Prayer is how I talk to God, and the church is the people of God, and I'm committed to both. And she never said those words to me, but I picked it up. I picked it up. So you're modelling something. You're modelling something to anyone who is, who is a younger Christian than you and anyone who is younger than you, and if you're a parent definitely to your children, you're modelling something. And you need to know that. Abraham was modelling something so that his servant knew how to pray. There's nothing that tells us that Abraham taught the people how to... It, it doesn't say that. But they knew he prayed. They knew he prayed. And so he prays and God answers his prayer quite emphatically. Then we find again in Genesis 24, just moving on, verse 61, Isaac marries Rebekah. Then Rebekah and her attendants got ready. They mounted the camels. They went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac had come from Beer Laharoi, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebecca. So she became his wife and he loved her and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So again, I could speak out of this passage on, on marriage. And, and obviously this describes that moment where, where Isaac and Rebecca, their eyes met across a field of corn. Yeah? And they loved one another. Love at first sight. I mean, we can be jealous of Isaac. There's a bit of me that's envious of Isaac, as you might be, because Isaac does nothing to, to have to find Rebecca. Does he? He's meditating. Again, he's learnt from his father. He's meditating in a field of corn. He looks up. There's this beautiful woman. He discovers, oh, you're my wife. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, oh, what a day. Yeah? When a man stands up in a field, he looks around. There's a beautiful woman coming towards him. You're my wife. Oh, that that would happen today. Not for me. <laughs> that has happened for me. And what a glorious day that was, and remains. But for some of you, you're praying for such a happy day. If you take nothing else, take this. Over who you marry, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. That means that you don't need to work it out and say, okay, what do I need to do here? That person, I quite like them. How can I orchestrate my world so that our worlds collide and I can... How do I do that, God? You don't need to do that. Do what Isaac did. He's meditating. He's praying. He's focusing. His focus isn't on trying to find something. His focus is on God. 
and God brings to him. Why? Because God has bigger purposes. This is not just about Isaac. Yeah? And if nothing else, we need to understand from these, these stories that we've been going through, this is not just about Abraham and Isaac. God has got a, God's got a bigger purpose. We see it here, and therefore we can take confidence that he's doing the same with us today. It's a bigger purpose. The other thing we can pick up from this is the servant completes his mission. Abraham sent him off solemnly. You need to go. There's some negotiations about what he's going to do, but he sends him off, and here the servant completes his mission. Do you know it's important to complete what we start in life? It's important. Complete what God has given you. Don't give up on it. Don't turn your back on it. Don't, don't try and change it. Always hold on. So Isaac marries Rebekah. Do you know what? It's the first, I think this is right, it's the first time that the Bible uses the term and he loved her. We don't hear much about how Abraham and Sarah get together, but we do know Isaac loved uh, uh, Rebekah. We know that. Genesis 25. God answers Isaac's prayer for Rebekah and later she gives birth to Esau and Jacob. Verse 19, it says this. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethel, the, the Aramean from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the elder will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand, grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when, he, when Rebekah gave birth to them. So they'd been married for 20 years. It's interesting, Isaac was the first, and in some ways one of the only characters we read in this Old Testament where he married one woman and they had two children, and that was it. There's no concubines, there's no maidservants, it's just him and Rebecca. And Isaac helps Rebecca by praying for her when she's childless. Again, there's a whole talk on there about the importance of husbands. Do you pray for your wife? Do you support her? Do you stand with her? He would have known, Isaac would have known, that for Rebecca, having a baby, was, it, was, it was almost everything. This was what justified who she was. As a woman, as a, as a wife. And you find that Isaac, he takes it to God. Because sometimes you can't answer every problem. Every time Pauline raises something, I can't, I can't always answer it. Or sometimes I answer it and it's just the wrong answer. Sometimes you just need to take things to God. And so husbands, are you taking your wife and your family to God? Are there occasions when you're going, God, you know the deep things in my heart. I don't know how to do this. 
I don't, I, don't, I don't seem to have all the resources that it would seem is required to be a good parent or to be a good husband. Father, I need your help. I hope you do that. And I hope if you're not married that you're going to be prepared to do that. You're going to pray. But again, it's encouraging because Isaac had learnt to pray. He had also learnt that, you know, God was with him. And Rebecca, get, Rebecca even inquires of the Lord. Sometimes when you're in difficulty, when you're in problems, inquire of the Lord, why is this happening? Sometimes we go, why is this happening? And we get very, um, you can get very sort of, uh, feel sorry for yourself. Why is this happening to me? Yeah, that's me. That's how I go. Why is it happening to me? And yet Rebecca's like, why is this happening? God, why is this happening? Inquire of him. God answers prayers. But we look in here at Isaac. So he prays. He doesn't seem to have as big a deal as, as Abraham. For Abraham, it was a massive deal. The faith thing, it was massive. For Isaac, it just sounds like, oh, God, she's not doing what's going on, God. Can you help us here? Oh, she's pregnant. Thank you. That's what it feels like. It doesn't feel like it's a big deal. Because Isaac sits in the middle. He's this transition man. He's, he's helping the promises to get established. Then we find in Genesis 26 at the beginning, there's famine in the land, but God at this point tells Isaac the promise for himself and he tells him to stay. He tells him to stay put. Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar, the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and I will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. How important is that, that Isaac was obedient? You remember we looked at Abraham going down to Egypt because he was fearful of the, of the famine. It doesn't tell us that God sent him to Egypt, but he went to Egypt because he was fearful of the famine. We also know, don't we, that Jacob goes to Egypt because of famine. So in the period that we're looking at, three generations, there are three severe famines. And with Isaac, God says, stay where you are. Stay where you are. Sometimes we think Christianity is all about going. It's all about going to the next place. It's all about doing the next thing. It's all about being the next creative. What's the church doing about this? Is the church on the edge doing that? Actually, sometimes it's just about staying, being faithful where you are. Just like God spoke to Isaac, he speaks to some of you, stay. Yeah, there's a famine there, but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. Further on in Genesis 26, God blesses Isaac and in, and in this turn causes him to be envied and feared by those around. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. 
The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servant had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there. You see, God blesses Isaac. And I've talked about him having an unremarkable story. I've talked about him being overshadowed by his father and by his son. Yet to those around him, he was powerful. To those around him, he was a huge thing. Go away from us. You're too powerful for us. It's interesting that sometimes God's continual blessing on somebody can lead to envy in somebody else. It just seems an odd thing. It's not even that this person is boasting, look at me, God's in me, God's working. Look at God. You don't need to do that for somebody who, who looks on your life, sees the favour of God, and they go... And envy doesn't come out with, look, I'm envious of him. Yeah? Yeah, well, I don't say that. I'm envy. I'm jealous of this person. I don't say that. And the Philistines didn't say that, but what did they do? They stopped up the wells. They took action to try and reduce what was going on. They almost didn't want to acknowledge, oh, what's going on with that guy? Initially, they're happy. I'm happy for you to live among us. Hey, because you're within us, that's fine. But you begin to grow. You can see it in church sometimes. You can, and I knew of a situation where there was a guy, he wasn't leading a church, but he was involved. He was in senior leadership of a church. And there was a younger guy who had, who had done wrong, basically. And this guy had helped him, stood by him, supported him. And then a time came when this younger guy, who had done wrong and was supported by this older guy, surpassed him. And the church said, we want you, the younger guy, to lead us. When this guy thought he was the next person to lead. It created difficulty. It causes difficulty when, when people get, get, seem to be blessed by God and maybe we're not blessed in the same way. Or maybe we feel, I, I helped that person. And now they're, they're outstripping me and everyone's looking to them and they're not looking to me anymore. Do you know what? As, as, as a pastor and as growing up in a church where I've seen that type of thing, I, I often pray, God, don't let me be like that. And it doesn't need to be about leading a church. That's just my thing. But for you, it might be at work. You might help someone. They come in. They come in under you. You support them. You help them. Maybe other people are a bit funny about them. You support them. Next thing, you find they're your boss. You go, God, what happened there? I was, I was helping out. I'm helping out, God, and now this person's my boss. We need to know where we stand. And so the Philistines, they send him away. And he moves. Isaac doesn't, you don't find him arguing. He, he just moves. He just gets out of the way. Why? Because Isaac's unremarkable. He's not doing much. He's pitching tents and he's digging wells. He's not doing much. He's not a fighter. Abraham, we know, was a bit of a warrior when he needed to be. Isaac, oh, okay. They're being a bit funny. I'm going to go over here now. He moves. He moves, pitches his tent, and he digs wells and he's reminded of the promise. In verse 23, From there he went to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. 
I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well. So he has this confrontation where basically he's driven out of the land or a bit of the land. And maybe he's fearful at this point and God comes to him that night and says, don't be afraid, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. He's reminded of the promise. It's easy if you are on the receiving end of that type of response, that type of envy, it's easy for you to become resentful. It's easy for you to become um, a bit negative, a bit cynical. It's easy. You just need to be reminded. God says, don't be afraid, I'm with you. Yeah? That's not a battle for you to fight. That's a battle I'm going to fight. You don't need to worry about that. Yeah, that person's treating you bad. Your thing is not to try and go back at them. Your thing is to trust me. Your thing is to look to me. Because later we find this. The blessing that is upon him is recognised. So a few, ver- few verses later, the Philistines come back to him and it says this. They answered, you know, because they come to Isaac, they say, look, we need to make a treaty with you. He says, why are you coming to me? All you've done is just caused me problems, basically. They answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. We saw it. So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us. Between us and you, let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Now, they may have got their ideas mixed up there because they had done him a bit of a disservice. But actually, it's also the case, isn't it, that sometimes people who treat you not well, they later acknowledge it. I don't know if you've ever had that. I know we've had that. Pauline's had that. People who, who, who made out stuff later said, oh, I, the reason I did it was because of this. I was jealous. Yeah? I was envy. I, di- I didn't like it. And I didn't know how to cope with it. So you need to hold on for the fact that God brings out those things in his time. He doesn't need you to do it. You don't need to fight it. But you also need to recognise that sometimes the favour that God may put on you provokes others. It does. Because we all live with the reality of sin in our lives. Christian or non-Christian. You live with that reality. For a Christian, sin should be a battle. So if you're not battling every day, I wonder what's going on. For the Christian. If you're not a Christian, you might think, what do you mean a battle? I'm quite happy. Yeah? For the Christian, life will be a battle because you battle sin. You fight sin. But his wealth provoked others. Eventually they admit it because they admit, look, we can see God's with you. And that was what caused it. It, 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 it scared us. We were fearful. We were afraid when we saw it. Then moving on as Isaac gets older, because... As I say, there's nothing remarkable about Isaac. As he aged, he mistakenly blesses Jacob and not Esau. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for his elder son Esau and said, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I'm now an old man and don't know the day of my death. He tells him to go make some food because he's going to bless him. Yeah? So we've gone through the story of Isaac and he's old now, but what has he done? He's wandered around Canaan. 
he's pitched tents, he's dug wells, he's moved away from conflict. He's not actually done very much. And as he grows old, he mistakenly blesses his younger son. Either he wasn't aware or he, he chose to ignore what was obviously in Rebecca's heart when God told Rebecca, the older is going to serve the younger. That's what God said to Rebecca, the older is going to serve the younger. So although it looks like she's being deceitful when she's trying to get Jacob to be blessed, in her, in her operation is this knowledge. God has said the older is going to bless the younger. So he mistakenly blesses his younger son, but wisely he allows that to take its sovereign course. That's been done, my son Esau, I'm sorry. Jacob will be blessed. And then we read that he lives to 180 years. So he, he dies at a, an older age than his father. He lives 180 years. He breathed his last and he died. He was gathered to his people, old and full of years. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. The way he died and the length of his life tells us something about the blessing. It does. He was old and full of years and his sons buried him. When my mum died a number of years ago, I always knew my mum, she was a nurse. She had worked in um, uh, sort of nursing homes. She'd worked in homes where, uh, you know, where people died. She, she knew about that. On the night that she died, she had a fit. And uh, the doctor came and he said to her, you can go to hospital if you want. And her last word, this was the last word she ever spoke, was no. No. Because after that, when we knew, the doctor said, your mum's very ill, she could even die tonight. The family gathered from all parts of the country. They were driving down in the middle of the night. I slept in the room on the floor at the bottom of my mum's bed. There was blessing in how she died. Not in a hospital bed with nurses doing what they do every day. I'm not saying they don't do it well, but every day. But with her family around her. Her kids were around her. And I know for my mum, that would have been important. And this was a sign of the blessing of God. This was the sign she died peacefully in her sleep with her family around her. Who wouldn't want to go like that? When I go, do you know, I'd love to go like that. When my kids are around me. So I pass from this life and all that God has done into this life. This is Isaac. He dies under blessing. He lives unremarkably, but he dies under blessing. He was a nomadic shepherd. He never fought anyone. He travelled that land. I've tried to make his life interesting, but it's not really. And yet his role is pivotal in establishing this covenant that God had given to Abraham. He achieves nothing great. There are no great moments we read about of faithful obedience. His obedience was, God says, stay where you are. He says, oh, okay. There's nothing. He's not a pioneer. He's just faithful. And it appears content. And he reminds us of another who was just faithful. 
You see, Jesus, when he came to earth, he didn't come on his own mission. He didn't get here and go, oh, I could do some stuff. I've got powers here. He came faithful. I only do what I see the Father do. This is not my mission. This is his mission. I've got no authority. I have only, the only authority I've got is the authority that's been given to me. He's not fighting to, to make a name for himself. Remember the Tower of Babel fighting to make a name for themselves? But obviously, Jesus, though in many ways unremarkable, and it tells us in Isaiah, there was nothing remarkable about him, yet pivotal, foundational to the purposes and the plans of God. You see, we live in a world, and many of us are of an age, where we think making a name for ourselves is important. Where we think doing something is important. We think pioneering and being on the edge and doing stuff is, is what it's about. Are we on the edge of what's going on in Christianity? But do you know what? Some of us are Isaacs. We're called to faithfulness. We're called to obedience. And we'll be blessed as a result. Isaac is overshadowed by others. And some of us, our lot is to follow in the footsteps of those who have gone before. Not to try and change something, not to necessarily take new ground, but to hold old ground. To ensure that this thing gets established here. That the purposes and the promises of God are established here. And sometimes it just needs a generation that stand. It doesn't need a generation to try and push. And yet, and yet we're fueled with and encouraged to go for it. Do the thing, your destiny, it's different, it's this, it's that. Sometimes it's not. And when you do those things, you end up just falling flat on your face. Or you end up, do you know what, being disillusioned? Because all the promises... All the big stuff, you don't see it materialise. So even as a pastor, I have to be careful how I lead a church. That, that I don't set us up to go, do you know what, everyone, in three years' time, we're going to be 500 people. You're, you're, and I could stir you and you go, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 God, you're going to do it. Not that the numbers matter. But you do that, you get to that place, as lots of churches do, and they haven't fulfilled the thing that they were promising, all the things that they thought were going on, and so they just move to the next promise. We see that in politics, don't we, every day? And it's only as you get older that you realise, I'm sure I've heard them say that before. I'm sure I heard a Prime Minister use those very words. That, that if we do this, this will happen. And then a few years later, if we do this, this will <coughs> For us, the church, holding on to and hosting the presence of God in our midst, be in a place where people can come, whichever, wherever background they come from. Do you know what? That's the big calling. Not trying to be different. I'm sorry. Not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to. I'm not even. I'm not trying to be pioneering. I'm not. Yeah. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to be faithful. When God speaks and comes to a new generation. It's not always to do a new thing, but sometimes it's to establish an old thing. 
We're not all called to go like Abraham. Go to a place that I will show you. Some are called to stay like Isaac, to pitch tents and to dig wells and to establish the work that Abraham began because it's bigger than you and it's bigger than me. Yeah? The church has been going a lot longer than we will go. We're not the generation to suddenly take it and then the church took a new turn. Did you remember that new turn that the church took in 2013 in Brixton? Something new happened and it went... I don't know, maybe some of you are Martin Luther's and we can get inspired by the Reformation or William Tyndale's and we can get inspired by writing and stuff. But some of us are all the people that simply established what they did. We're the people that took that New Testament that Tyndale wrote and we put it into the hands of the people that then read it. And it changed the world, it did. But we're those people. You don't hear those names, but they're there. Hundreds and thousands of them. When I say that, please don't mishear me. I'm not trying to uninspire you. Oh, I mean, really? Are you really telling us it's about the pitch in the tent? Come on, inspire us to change the world. Well, you'll know the story of Isaac. His name comes up again and again and again. Because he was the third man in the relay. So the promise goes, it was to our fathers. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's there. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You read about it again and again and again. All over the Bible, they look back. Abraham, because, why? God did reiterate the promise to Isaac personally. So I'm going to pray, we're going to, we're going to close, I'm just going to pray. And, uh, you know, if you want to respond, you can, and, and as I pray, if you, if you feel, oh, do you know what? Yeah, Isaac, me and him, we're brothers. If you feel that, you might, you might want to stand, or maybe there's something else that's been said this morning, you just think, I just want to respond to God. I just want to respond to him, just want to acknowledge that what he's that he's speaking to me that he's doing stuff in me so as i pray if you want to stand you can stand as a way of saying god i recognize you're doing stuff you're speaking to me you're working in me you're changing me let's pray together Father, this, uh, this morning we, we come to you again and we do, we do see it as a privilege, Lord, that week by week when we come together, you speak. Week by week when we come together, we sense your presence. We know you're here. Week by week when we come together, you, you're growing us. It's true that for some of us it's becoming true that every day is sweeter when we see what you're doing, when we see your hand at work in our lives. And Father, I just pray this morning, as we've brought this message, as we've heard what we've heard, Lord, I pray for those of us who are more like Isaac. And God, some of us have struggled because we're like Isaac. 
We feel overshadowed by those who have gone before and those who appear to be coming after us. We feel like we're overshadowed by them and, and all the stuff. But Lord, I thank you that, that what we see with Isaac is he has the same, he, he experiences the same God of faithfulness. He experiences the same God of blessing. And Father, it's my prayer that we would experience that as well. God, you may well have called some of us to be Abrahams and Jacobs to go. But God, I know you've called some of us to be Isaacs. That we will function in this place. And we will know your blessing in this place. And we will become powerful in this place. To your glory and to the furthering of your kingdom, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.